A subway attack here in New York City. A man opens fire, shoots 10 people right after setting off smoke bombs in a subway again underground. This is scary. There's nowhere to go. So far, no fatalities. That's good news. But uh, for the people down there and for the city at large right now, it's very uncertain. The guy who did this is still on the run. He's out there somewhere. Uh, First, here is the immediate aftermath. After the shooting, the smoke is still in the air and the car is coming into the station. Again, we think they're just smoke bombs. They weren't explosives. Uh, They weren't incendiary. The primary damage here was done by a a madman with a gun. This may or may not be that individual. You're going to see a man. You'll hear banging. You'll think it's gunshots. It's not. It's somebody. This is either a gunman or possibly just an innocent person trying to get away. But it's pretty wild. Uh, you, did you hear that banging? He wanted to get in. We don't know. Some thought initially he was the shooter. Now uh, there are conflicting reports. The passengers on that train, though, in that portion, were taking it uh, pretty chill, pretty calm and cool. Then, after the train came into the station, all kinds of wounded people on the floor and people trying to help. So the shooting happened on that train, and then they waved everybody over to the other train. It's possible that the shooter got away on the other train. We're not sure. More about him in a moment. But overall, again, what happened uh, at about 8.30 this morning, East Coast time, a man opened a smoke canister, and it started smoking. Somebody said, hey, you did that on purpose, and there was an argument. And then the man reportedly stood up and started firing, shooting at least 10 people. 10 people shot, 16 people injured. Five of them are in critical condition, but no fatalities at this point. Now, the attacker, described as a black male, five foot, five inches uh, tall, heavy build, wearing a construction type vest, may have had a gas mask on at some point. Now, maybe, look, for those of us who ride the subway in New York City, it's a tense, tense thing to do with street crime and the possibility of a terror attack. Who remembers the Madrid subway terror attack? I think uh, nearly 100 people were were killed back in 2004. This, of course, was nothing on that scope, but I think about that attack from time to time. Who remembers in 1993, a madman opened fire on the Long Island Railroad just outside of New York City, killing six people, wounding 19. Uh, This happens, and there's nowhere to run when you're on a train and someone is opening fire. Now, I think prematurely, uh, most of the commentators out there, even members of the law enforcement community here in New York, were too quick to say, this is not terrorism. 
They are not calling this a terrorist attack at this point. And this is not being investigated as an act of terrorism at this time. There's no known connection. Would it make that much of a difference? We'll ask the experts in a little bit. I think it's a little bit too early to say this is not terrorism. On the surface, it looks like terrorism. I'll get to how in a moment, but let's review clear-cut terrorism. September 11th, 2001, those hijackers and the people who funded them and backed them. So they were opposed to our way of life, right? Our entire system they found offensive, reprehensible. They wanted to destroy our way of life because everything about it is rotten in their heads, right? Now, ever since... um, We elected a Democrat in New York City back in 2014. After 20 years of Republican rule, terrorism took a big uptick. Let's go back and review. Under Mayor de Blasio, it started. Uh, 2017, this character blew up a small but powerful bomb in the Port Authority building. Major transportation hub did serious damage. Next, there was a truck attack, killed eight people. A man commandeered a truck, an Islamic terror, these are all Islamic extremists, uh, drove into eight people on vacation from Argentina. Nobody ever talks about it now. They barely talked about it then. Going on. In Central Park, back in 2016, a mysterious bomb detonated, tore half a foot off of a terrorist. It was downplayed at the time, but key ingredients found at the scene related to the bomb were seen as terrorist tools, most likely a terror attack. Next, we have, oh, the 23rd Street bombing. Several bombs around 23rd Street Manhattan uh, did, again, serious damage, all planted by this guy, a radical Islamic extremist. And then in 2014, this individual took an axe to a police officer's head. And when they got to his house, they saw all kinds of crazy Islamic extremist postings on his laptop. This has happened quite a bit in New York, but it's downplayed and underreported. Democrats don't seem to like to own up to terrorism when it happens on their watch. Benghazi, anyone? So we can agree. I think it's the intelligence experts would say that these folks were opposed to our way of life, right? They found everything about our system rotten. Good old America. They hate it, right? Islamic terrorists, of course, they hate it. You notice how many more people suddenly, seemingly overnight, hate everything about us? Everything changed, it seemed, in an election year when George Floyd died in Minneapolis. Now, we all saw it. Now, he would not have died if he hadn't had those drugs in his system. He would not have died had he not committed the crime that day. He would not have died had he not resisted arrest. He also would not have died probably if the Minneapolis Police Department for some insane reason said in their manual, you can actually put your knee on the neck of an individual you are trying to arrest or subdue. That was in the handbook. He wouldn't have died if Officer Chauvin had shown greater intelligence, ability, and compassion perhaps. But he died and all hell broke loose. And suddenly America basically overnight, became South Africa, the crazy things they started saying about this country and the way corporate America and the media, the overreaction, it was insane. It was insane, but it was accepted at the same time, not by us, but by 
people you know, people we all know. We've seen with horrifying clarity the cost of systemic racism. We have a system that is built on systemic racism, and we have to dismantle that system piece by piece. Racism is systemic, it is structural, it is pervasive. Racism in America is endemic, it is foundational. America has a long history of systemic racism. The battle to achieve racial justice and root out systemic racism in this country. There is systemic racism that must be weeded out. All right, stop it for a second. Stop it for a sec. 24-7 of this stuff, people saying that America is systemically an evil country. You think that had an effect on wackos and maybe people not so wacko? Of course it did. Of course it did. And it never stops with the issues of systemic racism throughout our society. We have been fighting systemic racism in this country for 400 years. It is systematic or systemic racism through many, if not all, of our institutions. And it gets to the point of the systemic racism that exists in this country that permeates every social system that we have here. Let's be real that systemic racism is part of our American culture. It's embedded in every facet of life. Uh, systemic racism is just as American as apple pie. And if you don't watch TV, well, you can read about it in every newspaper, essentially in America. The 1619 Project that says America is fundamentally, yes, an evil, racist place. Uh, our most important, the most important thing that ever happened here was slavery. And this crazy person, and I do believe she is crazy, Nicole, what's her name again? Nicole Hannah Jones? From the New York Times, this person uh, who has no credentials whatsoever to be redesigning our society with, excuse me, I'm sorry, the, she's eccentric. All right, jobs out there who think now, who believed a lot of this stuff, that we are fundamentally a bad place and that the whole thing needs to be overturned through any means necessary. Anybody surprised that there's no respect for law enforcement anymore, Right that this somehow is considered okay? Who's the good guy in these pictures, right? Huh? For most, for half of America, it's the people yelling at the cops, not the cops. And look who joined this nonsense, Mitt Romney. You've got Republicans joining this craziness. You have corporate America, previously, talk about mom and pop, and I'll leave it at that. Um, This all took hold. There are nut jobs out there who think now, who believed a lot of this stuff, that we are fundamentally a bad place and that the whole thing needs to be overturned through any means necessary. Anybody surprised that there's no respect for law enforcement anymore, right? That this somehow is considered okay? Who's the good guy in these pictures, right? Huh? For most, for half of America, it's the people yelling at the cops, not the cops. And look who joined this nonsense, Mitt Romney. You've got Republicans joining this craziness. You have corporate America, previously, talk about mom and pop, apple pie, IBM, went all woke. This is their own uh, design, the, the Black Lives Matter colors. And they put out ridiculous pledges For their employees, I pledge not to remain silent. I pledge to better understand the black experience. Hey, just make the computers. Now, IBM, 
Now, I would expect this from Hollywood. We all saw it. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility for every unchecked moment, for every time it was easier to ignore than to call it out for what it was. Every not-so-funny joke. Every unfair stereotype. Every blatant injustice, no matter how big or small. Every time I remained silent. Every time I explained... It's kind of nauseating. That's kind of funny at this point. It was nauseating the first time. It's funny. It's interesting. They all talk about the jokes they heard, uh, the things they witnessed. Never anything they did, actually. Never any joke they may have said, any statement they may have had, or any belief they may have had. Anyway, where does this all bring us to today? I don't know what motivated this guy. I don't know what happened. We don't know. He's still on the loose. But I am not shocked. I am not shocked by this. When our culture has been running around saying our culture is fundamentally racist and corrupt, more people are going to rise up and do crazy things like this. No surprise whatsoever. And, of course, politicians are going to pander. You know, we have this uh, new acting governor, um, Hochul. She came after Cuomo. And the first thing she well, anyway, number one, first, you got to see this. She's talking to us like she's talking to children who need to come in from recess. We say no more, no more mass shootings, no more disrupting lives, no more creating heartbreak for people just trying to live their lives as normal New Yorkers. It has to end. It ends now. And we are sick and tired of reading headlines about crime, whether they're mass shootings or the loss of a teenage girl or a 13 year old. It has to stop. So why am I so hard on her? Because in the summer of 2020, she was the lieutenant governor. That's a big job. And all of this broke out. And I was in the middle of it in New York with my wife and family. No National Guard. Very nothing from the state troopers. Nothing. They looked the other way. They encouraged this. They liked it when it served their political purposes. And there she is, by the way, decrying crime. 20 minutes before she showed up, guess who was arrested? Her lieutenant governor, this guy. His name is uh, Brian Benjamin, Democrat, and he was arrested. Um, The allegations are fraud related to a campaign finance scheme. We'll see what happens. He resigned just about an hour ago from office. The very first thing New York Governor Kathy Hochul did when she became governor is pick this guy, her first decision. He made it about uh, how many months has it been? Seven months before arrested by the feds. You know who else had a big role in picking him? Reverend Al Sharpton, huh? How about that? So interesting thing about the suspect, and let's put up what we know about him. He is a black male, five foot five. Heavy build, wearing a construction-type vest, all right? And he's out there somewhere. It's amazing how the media described him, what they said about him and what they wouldn't say about him. We'll have that when we come back. I'm Greg. I'm 68 years old. I do motivational speaking. In addition to the substitute teaching, I honestly feel that that's my calling to give back to younger people. 
I think most adults will start realizing that they don't recall things as quickly as they used to or they don't remember things as vividly uh, as they once did. I've been taking Prevagen for about three years now. People say to me periodically, man, you got a memory like an elephant. It's really, really helped me tremendously. Prevagen, healthier brain, better life. Who's the oxygen? Do you want your house back? Take it! January 6th, so many guys are in, I think, way too much trouble. That's Brady Knowlton. Um, He's facing a slew of charges. He was inside the Capitol on January 6th. I think we have a picture of him inside. Yep, there he is inside, but he's not breaking anything. He's not hurting anybody. Uh, Next, we have, uh, this is Patrick Montgomery. This is when he was down at the Ellipse. But later, it looks like, yeah, that's him. And it looks like he's in the Senate chamber. So you know how these January 6th guys have been treated? A lot of us believe the reaction has been totally over the top in the incarceration, the harassment. But these two guys have some very high-profile help right now. Alan Dershowitz, perhaps the greatest lawyer in the world, professor emeritus at Harvard Law School. You are the attorney for Brady Knowlton and Patrick Montgomery, joining some other fine attorneys who have been working with them. Professor Dershowitz, welcome. Why'd you take this case? And I'm glad you did, by the way. Because it involves core First Amendment rights, the right to petition your government for a redress of grievances. Look, I voted for Biden. I didn't believe any of the things in the protest, but that's not why I take cases. He had a First Amendment right to protest the election And he was welcomed into the Capitol. The policemen are seen in the videotape welcoming him in. It's a crime to enter the Capitol after you've been waved in. He didn't hurt anybody. He left when he was told to leave. And uh, there's a case that's been decided just last week, which suggests that if those facts are true, there is no crime. Professor, your team, you've got some compelling video that demonstrates this. We're going to show some clips. Before we do... There's a narrator. Um, I'm wondering, uh, the narrator is somebody you know or the defense team put together, and there's commentary, and it's brilliant commentary. It's telling everybody what they've seen. Well, do me a favor. Let's take a look at the clip, and then we'll figure out how we can get this into court. Go ahead. Just after 2.33 p.m., police officers allow five individuals to exit the Capitol through the Upper West Terrace doors. At 2.34 p.m., A gentleman holding an American flag catches the door just as the last protester leaves. He turns to the crowd outside and waves towards the door. As a steady stream of protesters enter through the Upper West Terrace doors, they can see police officers standing at the interior doors, allowing people to pass. And there are cops down there. We're going to see more footage in a moment, which more clearly shows the police officers. But this footage, who's speaking? What do you intend to do with this footage, which I think exonerates almost everybody? Well, we're going to obviously introduce it into evidence. It's footage taken by the government themselves. They can't dispute the footage. We're also trying to get the actual words that were spoken. We haven't been able to get access to them yet, but we believe that they will show the policeman saying, you can come in as long as you don't do any damage, as long as you leave when we tell you to leave. And so these people thought they were exercising their First Amendment right to protest and to petition the government. It certainly should not be a crime. It certainly should not be a a felony. The idea that you charge 
a felony because people objected to the counting of the ballots. Uh, yeah. I think they were. But you have a right to be wrong under the First Amendment. Here's a. Uh, by the way, we can agree to disagree on that, but that's OK, Professor. Yep. Uh, let's uh, roll another uh, portion of what your defense team has put together. At 2.36 p.m., a police officer walks towards the exit against the flow of protesters. The police allow the crowd to pass. Being device attached to it films police as they allow people to enter. It's it's really I mean, to me, it's an open and shut case. The cops let people in. I've been saying it for a year and a half, by the way. The narrator um, will they allow the narration? I mean, or would, wouldn't a lawyer have to narrate that live? I love what you did here. Can you present it? Because this is this is not how the government gave it to you. This is your interpretation, the right interpretation. Can you submit it with this guy's voice on it? Well, I don't think it much matters. I think as long as we can submit the video and as long as they, uh, the jury or the prosecutor or the judge can see that these are people who are exercising their right to protest that are being waved in and told, come on in with limits. Just don't hurt anybody. Don't do anything. And remember, I'm not defending somebody who broke things or who shot somebody or hurt somebody. I'm representing a man, a law school student, who just went there because he believed the election was unfair and he wanted to express his views on that. And he went onto the Capitol grounds believing that he had a right to do that because he was welcomed in by the police. If they applied the same standards that they applied to protesters in the West, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and others that burned buildings, blocked access to the courts, uh, and did real damage, uh, none of these cases would be brought. And you yeah. can't have a double, you can't have one rule for the left and one rule for the right, one rule for Democrats and one rule for Republicans. The First Amendment doesn't permit that. Uh, well, unfortunately, that's what we have. And I'm so glad you're involved in this. And oh, by the way, the only person who was shot that day, we have to remember, was a Trump supporter shot by a Capitol Hill police officer who incredibly is on the job, didn't lose a paycheck. They even gave him a gold medal, Lieutenant Mike Byrd. Maybe someday he'll need a lawyer. It's crazy. Uh, we have one more clip from the evidence you've put together. At 2.44 p.m., a police officer in the bottom of the screen can be seen speaking to the officers in front of him and pulling them away, indicating to the crowd that they are allowed to enter. The officers then turn their backs to the crowd, which indicate that they did not possess fear of the protesters. The officers then escort the crowd into the interior of the Capitol. <laughs> well, we think we're trying to Brady versus Maryland to get all the government's recordings. We want to hear the policemen actually say, you're welcome in. We want to know why we don't have these sound recordings. Even without the sound recordings, the motions are enough to have a reasonable doubt as to guilt. But with the sound recordings, we think it'll become clear that not only weren't they stopped, but they were affirmatively welcomed in. The American public has a right to hear all the evidence, to see all the videos, to hear all the audios, and then let the public decide, let prosecutors decide, let the judge decide. And if it ever gets to it, which I hope it won't, let the jury decide. Finally, sir, only a few seconds left. Uh, some of this footage, uh, we have the little cop who is waving people in. We have the officers on side by side. We've been showing this video literally every night for a year. But CNN never shows it. Um, MSNBC never shows it. Adam Kinzinger, um, uh, Liz Cheney, they never acknowledge these basic things. 
that happened that are exculpatory, beyond exculpatory. I mean, let's be real here. What does it say about our culture? What does it say about our system that this basic evidence has been ignored? Well, more than ignored, suppressed. And um, to its credit, the government has provided us with this information like a needle in a haystack. We had to obviously go through it and find the evidence. But the American system of justice requires that all the evidence be presented and that the American public and the decision makers see all the evidence. And we're confident once all the evidence comes in, everybody will realize that uh, Brady Knowlton and some others were simply exercising their First Amendment right. And they must be distinguished from people who may have engaged in violence or may have engaged in property destruction. But for people who were waved in, they were simply exercising the rights that all Americans have under the First Amendment. And I'm uh, honored to represent this, uh, this wonderful young man. I am so pleased uh, that you're involved, sir. Really, give my best to your clients and your team, Brady Knowlton, Patrick Montgomery, Alan Dershowitz, Professor Emeritus, Harvard Law School. Thank you, sir. And I'll continue to agree with them on the merits, but that's what Americans do. We disagree on the merits, but we defend the right. And in my case, I believe it's the right to be wrong. A lot of people think it's the right to be right. That's not the issue. It's the right to express your views under the First Amendment, and that's what I'm defending. A national treasure, sir, sir. really. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. We'll be right back. Here's the train coming into the station right after uh, the shooting of 10 people. A smoke bomb was ignited, at least one of them. This is a wild scene. Maybe terrorism. We don't know yet. The guy who did it is on the loose somewhere, described as a black male, five foot five inches tall. Uh, let's see. Heavy build, wearing a construction type vest, may have had a gas mask as well. Uh, for more on what's happening, what happened, what could happen and what we can learn is uh, the former police commissioner of New York City, the longest serving police commissioner in New York City history. Ray Kelly happens to be my father, everybody. So uh, that's taken care of, full disclosure. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm fine, son. Good to be with you. Well, thank you for being on the show. I know you watch the show a lot. Hey, um, the authorities were quick to say, well, they didn't want to say this was terrorism. They didn't want to say it wasn't terrorism. Is there any importance in declaring it or not declaring it? Well, I think there's a tendency try to uh, to try to say it's not terrorism early on to sort of calm the uh, the public. Uh, quite frankly, I don't think there was enough information out to make that uh, that statement. We still don't know. Uh, we don't know where this individual is. We don't know what his motives were. But um, you know, there is that sort of uh, knee jerk response to say it isn't terrorism early on. And and here it is, just like you say, that's a a knee jerk response. I mean, almost like muscle memory, everybody down the line saying we don't think it's terrorism. Probably not. Take a look. They are not calling this a terrorist attack at this point. This is not being investigated as an act of terrorism at this time. There's no known connection to terrorism. They are not investigating the shooting as a terror situation right now. And just one more thing on that. Um. We know maybe calm the public. Does it have any investigative significance when you say we don't know if it's terrorism? We think it might not be. Does it have any significance behind the scenes? 
Yes, it does. Uh, if it's a terrorist act, the federal jurisdiction kicks in. The Joint Terrorism Task Force, which is led by the FBI and has the NYPD and other police agencies assigned to it, would do the investigation. If it's not terrorism, the local jurisdiction here, NYPD, would do the investigation. And that's pretty much where it stands now. NYPD doing the investigation, but clearly uh, the FBI is there to help. The other agencies are there to help. They're, you know, they're, they're constantly communicating. But that's what the sort of the, the official designation means. When you were commissioner for 12 years, by the way, as we mentioned earlier, the longest serving in American history of a major city, um, we saw a lot of this. Heavily armed uh, police officers. I mean, they almost look like um, uh, ninja warriors. I think we have some photos of them, uh, particularly on the subway. I think they're members of the Hercules team. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about these guys, why you put them out there on the trains? And quite frankly, we don't see them out there anymore. Well, it's a little bit of a wow factor <clears throat> early on. Uh, you know, early on in the Bloomberg administration, we were down several thousand police officers. As a matter of fact, ultimately 5,000 fewer than what the previous administration had. So we wanted to sort of pump up our uh, appearances on the street. And we wanted people to see a lot of police presence, a lot of police movement. And, and that's why we do it, did it. They still do some of it. But you're right, it's not done to the extent it was done uh, in the past. And uh, it's done for, obviously, a deterrent effect. Well, the deterrent effect and the deterrent effect with two Democrats in a row running New York City seems to have gone away. I want to review some history with you again for the viewers. Twelve years uh, from 2002 to 2014, your term and Mayor Bloomberg's term, no successful terror attacks. In fact, 16 or so terror plots thwarted. Mayor de Blasio shows up. And we start to see terror attacks. Uh, let's go through them. 2017, uh, the Port Authority bombing. I think there were two in 2017. There was a, a truck attack on the West Side Highway. Uh, these happened with fairly, uh, fairly regularly. And they weren't happening for the 12 years prior. Do you have any theories on why that uh, may be? Why we saw them? When for so long we weren't, and these, by the way, we believe are Islamic fanatical terrorists who wage these attacks. Well, we certainly put a lot of effort into trying to protect the city from a terrorist attack. We brought in investigators from the federal government, the FBI, CIA, DEA, DIA. We had a thousand officers in our counterterrorism unit or division. So that's a significant uh, investment into trying to stop a, a counterterrorism attack. And uh, yeah, I think we did a good job, but I think we also had luck. The FBI did a good job. We worked together closely in these cases. So, um, you know, some of it could just be happenstance. And uh, I understand that. But we'll take luck anytime. <laughs> luck anytime. All right. Well, hey. If you'd like to read more about New York City when it was run by Mayor Bloomberg and Ray Kelly as police commissioner, you can in uh, Ray Kelly's book. It's called Vigilance, 
uh, your personal memoir, and it's uh, published by Hachette and available wherever books are sold. All right. Welcome again. I don't know what the, I got to call you. I got to call him dad, commissioner, father. We're not that kind of family. We never say father. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. Uh, thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Keep up the great work. Will do. And ah, we have this just a second ago from the NYPD. We have a picture of the suspect in the subway attack and a name. The NYPD official Twitter page put this out. They say this is Frank James. Frank James. He is a person of interest in the shooting that took place on the entering in Brooklyn Tuesday morning. Anyone with information on his whereabouts, they're asked to call NYPD tips, 800-577-TIPS. Uh, it doesn't say that here, but there's another indication that he may be 62 years old. That's all the information we have. And uh, let's take a look at him in full one more time. Frank James, just a suspect or a person of interest. Never understood the distinction between a suspect and a person of interest, but I have to follow up on that someday. Frank James, person of interest uh, in today's attack. So a few months ago, uh, everybody was shocked for a little while when it turned out that the federal government was chartering big planes to fly illegal migrants from the border throughout America, including uh, suburban New York City, Westchester Airport, big charter planes unloading uh, illegal migrants and uh, just welcome to the community. Well, not so much done in the middle of the night, like they didn't want anybody to find out about it. And it's still happening. Take a look at this. These are big busloads taken just the other night, leaving Westchester Airport, we believe, with illegal migrants on board. This is happening. The government is paying for it. It continues unchecked. Um, and they're getting away with it somehow. By that, I mean the Biden administration. We'd like to bring in Rob Astorino, former county executive of Westchester. He is currently running for the Republican nomination of New York State, and things are looking very good, although things are looking pretty crummy as far as uh, immigration security. Rob, welcome back. How are you? I'm good, Greg. Thanks for shining a light on this again. So, and unfortunately, so few people are. You're one of them. Uh, some of this video you personally uncovered. Uh, they've either delivered it to you or you with your own cameras have found this. There doesn't seem to be government outrage about it. I've heard some murmurings, um, but not really. And it continues. Why is it that? does continue? Yeah, it continues because there is no outrage from the Democrats, of course. Where's Chuck Schumer on this, the majority leader? It's happening in his own state. Senator Gillibrand, completely AWOL. And Governor Kathy Hochul, who is, well, I guess cheering it on because in New York, we now have a $2 billion fund in our budget to aid and assist illegal immigrants in New York, including $200 million that they just put in to help those who are over 65 illegally here. And they can now qualify for Medicaid, which is against federal law. So the state's going to pick up the entire tab. So whether you're a citizen or not, I guess there's no distinction anymore in the eyes of New York. 
But people are completely outraged and they and they should be because we have no idea who's coming in here. It is under the cloak of darkness in many, many cases. Although now, Greg, they've moved the planes to the other side of the terminal at Westchester County Airport. So the public can't see. They go to the hangar, then they get on these buses and then they leave. And where they go, we don't know. Although I do know because I followed that bus that's on the screen right now. And it went to northern Westchester to a school where they dropped off people. So it's happening at rest stops. They're letting people out to be, quote, reunification with family. Um, and it's just beyond outrageous. And it seems like nobody cares in our government, certainly our federal government, because they're not giving us any answers. And in our state, they're waving them in and giving them goodies. It seems like it must be in violation of some law. Uh, misuse of government funds. Where does it say? <laughs> I, I, look, hopefully the Republicans will take over and there'll be an investigation or what. Um, I just have trouble understanding like how they could do something like this. Do you think it's what the globalists want, free labor, and the Democrats want uh, free votes, or they can portray these people as voting any way they want? If I were a union member in the trades, I wouldn't want this. They're taking their jobs. If I were you know, middle class or trying to get to the middle class, I wouldn't want this because they're depressing wages. Um, but what they're happening, what's happening now in New York City, you can now vote, even if you're a non-citizen, within 30 days of residency. So the Democrats probably have a long-term plan, but I think it will completely backfire. And people are just really fed up with this kind of nonsense. And when Title 42 is rescinded, that's the last tool in the box that Customs and Border Patrol has to expel them. So they're just going to keep putting them on buses and spreading them into the interior of the country. And we won't get any answers about who's coming in our own neighborhoods. Well, we'll get the answers. We'll get them yes. uh, somehow, ultimately. Rob Astorino, currently running for New York State governor, running for the Republican nomination. Good luck. Keep in touch. His license plate. You're looking at Nathan Kirk. And take a look at the license plate on his pickup truck. LGBFJB, let's go, Brandon. F Joe, your boy. Yes, he very cleverly submitted that to the Department of Motor Vehicles in Alabama. They didn't like it when they found out about it, but Nathan Kirk has won this fight. First of all, Nathan, good to see you again. How are you? I'm doing well. Great to be here. Thank good you. To, good to see you. And you're joining us from uh, Blunt County Tactical, of which you are the owner. Great facility. We'll talk about that in a second. Anyway, you. you submitted for this license plate when? I uh, submitted for it in October uh, of this past year and issued uh, a couple months later. Uh, got the tag, I think, uh, January 21st or 2nd um, of this actual year, 2022. And uh, rode around with it, uh, not thinking anything about it for about a month until I got the, the call from the state. And the, they said, uh, we don't like it. This is offensive. you got to turn it in, correct? Yes, absolutely. They, they did. Uh, that, that was the, the phone call. Then I, I did get a letter uh, stating the same information uh, a few days later after the phone call. And uh, that's when we began our fight. And, um, you know, it lasted a few weeks. Well, I'm going to skip to the conclusion of this fight because you want it, my friend. Let's put it up on the screen. You have a letter and an apology from the, the Alabama Department of Revenue Motor Vehicle Division has determined the above reference license plate will not be recalled. We apologize for any inconvenience this may have caused. You won, sir. Uh, so you, how did you do it? You were fighting it. 
Did you lawyer up? Was it a petition drive? How did you fight the state of Alabama and win? Well, um, a lot of it, I was going to lawyer up. Uh, I was going to fight it in court. I was going to appeal it and anything that I needed to do. But, you know, being on your show, uh, being a lot of other places that I was, it didn't even go that far. Uh, it seems like it rattled a few, uh, you know, people that were a little higher than the people that objected to the tag from the beginning, you know, the beginning stage. And all of a sudden uh, they decided to drop it. Okay, well, listen, we're glad you won. And by the way, they, they did say, well, we have rules against uh, offensive language on the license plate. But, I mean, you really got to go out of your way to decode this, right? I mean, just glancing at it, no one's going to read it out loud and say the F word and all that stuff, right? No, no, no. Uh, you hear a lot of people say, uh, you know, FJB. I mean, you hear them say it in the terms, you know, just like I said it in, in the, the letters. Um, but the state didn't realize that I would be smart enough to do a little investigation and, and even found out that in September of last year, they started issuing Freemasonry tags from the state that started with the letters FJB then 001, 002, 00, all the way to 999. And if theirs is not offensive, certainly mine's not. By the way, why do you feel, I assume you're not a Joe Biden fan, uh, and there are lots of reasons to choose from, but for you, uh, why are you dissatisfied in this president? Well, just uh, from the beginning, policy is completely uh, different from what uh, my personal belief, uh, you know, system aligns with. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I'm I'm basically anti everything that he represents. Uh, I, I I love the Second Amendment. I love the First Amendment. Um, I'm I'm anti-abortion. Uh, you know, I'm I'm pro-life. Uh, he, this guy is definitely anti everything that I am. So right off the bat, you know, of course, he was somebody that I was not going to vote for and will not support. Um, And then you throw into things, you know, throw into the way he uh, handled Afghanistan uh, exit and and things like that. It's just it's it's pathetic. It's not uh, not, nothing I'll ever support. Nathan, uh, by the way, I see you sold the flamethrower that was (laughs) behind you the last time we spoke. Now you've got a. I don't know. It looks like a uh, transgender uh, assault weapon. What the heck is that thing? Well, that that was a a conversation piece created by our own um, gun wizard, uh, James, the (laughs) XD man, Nicholas. But that's our boogaloo gun uh, that that represents the boogaloo movement. And uh, yeah, it's it's a conversation piece. Oh, boy, the Boogaloo movement. Uh, those guys are, uh, well, we'll have to talk about them. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the Boogaloo boys, come on, man. They're bad news, right? All right. Uh, we got we well, it. I'm we, sure they are, but it, it was we were paid to do the gun, and, you know, so we did it. <laughs> All right. Of course, everything within the law, and you are operating very much in the law down there at Blunt County Tactical. Nathan Kirk, thank you, sir. And uh, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Okay. Hey, thank you so much. Stinchfield is next, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.